If you've got a Bible, uh, please could you turn to Colossians chapter 1. Hey, while you do it, if you can multitask, would you just look down at your feet, clock a mental image of the shoes that you're wearing today. In fact, while you're at it, why don't you do your whole ensemble? What have you got dressed today? What are you wearing on this momentous day? Look out the window. What weather do we have? Look down your row, who you sit next to, on the momentous day on which we start our Colossians series. Yeah. Now, I I jest partly, but I do want to bring us a sense of occasion as we start today, in all seriousness, because, and the reason is quite simply this, in a few months' time, just before Christmas it will be, when we get to the verse, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, remember my chains, grace be with you. It's the final verse of Colossians, when we finish this series. As a church, we are going to be different. Are you aware of that? We're going to be different as a church. For you individually, if you stick with us through this series and you open your heart to God's word, you will be changed as we look at the book of Colossians together. Remember where we are today. This is a big day for us. You might think, a little bit overblown, Johnny. We're going through a series of talks like we normally do. I didn't realize we'd finished the last series. But seriously, this is what the Bible does to us. The Bible is a, is a hammer that shapes us. It sounds a little, little intimidating, doesn't it? That's the image the Bible uses, but it shapes us in a good way to be more and more like Jesus, which nothing could be better than that, really. And so I'm really excited about kicking off uh, this series today. And I want as I uh, just start like that, and as I know for some of you, like, well, I'm not really on that page at all. I'm waking up, just getting my head in the game today. Well, as you do that, I want to stir faith in you this morning. And if some of my faith... Uh, can rub off on you and pull you up, you know, from a, from a Sunday morning stupor that I know some of us have. You know what, that's my job today. So I want to stir a faith in you. Think ahead. Think ahead to Christmas. What would you like God to do in you through this passage? For some of you, maybe the, uh, the talky bit on a Sunday is the bit that you kind of think, well, you know what, I'll put up with that for the other stuff church does. My struggle, how do I concentrate that long? You know what, like Johnny speaks fast. Like, there's lots of big ideas. I'm going to talk about Greek words today, guys. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but why don't you just now, like, in fact, I was just going to spend a moment, just again, like Andy did a minute ago, just again, just to talk to God. This is a conversation. We're not just, here's the talk, here's the bit where we talk to God. I want to pray for you guys, and I want you to just ask God, God, help me with this. Why? Just so that you look more attentive, that you tick that box? No, because we want the Bible to change us. Do we? Do we? Yeah. yeah, okay. So if you want to close your eyes, if that helps you focus, do that and I pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the seed of the gospel that bears fruit everywhere it goes. And I want to ask you this series, Lord, it's another book from your word. It's an amazing, uh, amazing book. I pray that it would bear fruit in our lives. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for faith right now. I want to pray in the sleepiest person here today. Now suddenly, would it be a clear miracle? Would it go on the story of the breakthrough page? It's a miracle. I was completely disengaged. Suddenly, God gave me faith to hear the word and to put it into practice. I just want to give us space for you. Just tell God what you'd like him to do today and through this series. And I'm going to rudely interrupt with an amen. You might have been in full flow, but uh, let's, let's get to it. Well, before we actually get to the passage, let's give a bit of background, because we are starting a whole new book, and we need to know what's going on here. The book of Colossians uh, is actually a letter. It's one of the 66 books of the Bible, but all of them different kind of 
Some of them are very situational. And this is kind of a personal letter from a guy called Paul, uh, one of the uh, founders of the early church, really, early follower of Jesus, to this church in a place called Colossae, which is uh, what we would call a place in Western Turkey. As we'll see, Timothy helps Paul with the letter, but I think it's fair to say Paul does most of the donkey work here, uh, really. So it's kind of from Paul uh, to the church in Colossae with a few friends helping. And uh, there's a story behind it. It's a story that's not explicitly given us in the rest of the Bible, but we can piece together, okay? The church in Colossae started from a guy called Epaphras, who we're going to meet in today's passage. And Epaphras, it seems, heard Paul preaching about Jesus in, in a neighboring place called Ephesus, and uh, accepted the message, became a Christian, and then went back to his hometown of Colossae, okay? Now, he thought he The gospel grabbed hold of him so much he did the same. He told people about Jesus there. And uh, the Colossian church sprung up. And here we are a few years later, basically. It's probably about 60 AD. And Epaphras has made a trek to find the guy who he heard the gospel from, Paul. And uh, I don't know how he found this information or whether it was a nasty surprise to him. But rather than just going back over to Ephesus, he had to bomb down to Rome where Paul wasn't in the most luxurious surroundings. He was in prison at this time. We see the story at the end of uh, uh, the book of Acts of Paul being put in prison. It's likely that's the time Epaphras went to visit Paul. And it seems Epaphras uh, really wanted Paul to write back to the church to kind of uh, to encourage them on some things. And uh, it wasn't just that Epaphras was filling him in on how things were going. He had a problem that he wanted to solve. And the problem was that at Colossae, while the church was doing really well generally, there was these false teachers about who were throwing around these ideas that seemed to conflict with what Epaphras had heard from Paul. But Epaphras didn't really know how to combat them properly. Okay? So, why do I give that information? Well, that's what the book of Colossians is. The letter is a letter from Paul to this church, really to kind of help them stay on the straight and narrow, to really cling to the gospel as it is and not get knocked off left or right. And so his method, as we'll see in the next few weeks, is sometimes he addresses the false teaching head on and says, look, no, that's, they told you that. That's not how it is, and this is why. Sometimes he does that. But as in today's passage, and really most of this book actually, is saying, well, I'm not going to focus so much on what you shouldn't think and how things shouldn't work. Actually, let's lay the foundations again. This is the gospel rightly as it is. Okay? Don't get blown to the side because he relays the foundation of the gospel. And as we'll see, that's exactly what he does to kick things off. And I'm just going to draw three points that he makes about the gospel, the good news of Jesus from this passage. So, with all that said, let's get into it. Colossians 1, uh, 1 to 14. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation of the Bible. For those who didn't know, and I didn't know this till quite recently, on our app, uh, there's the Bible bit has this in the ESV. We're going to be preaching from basically that version. So if you ever forget your Bible, you got it there. Okay, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This you have heard before, in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learnt it from Epaphras, remember him, mentioned him a minute ago, Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. 
And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us Qualified you, sorry, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's a slightly longer chunk that we're going to look at as we go through, but we're going to kick it off like this today. So what do we see here? Well, what we see here very clearly is that Paul presents the Colossian church as a group of people who have been changed by something. Something has come to them and has affected them dramatically. And we see what that something is in verses 5 and 6. It's something he calls the gospel. Okay, The gospel. This you've heard before, talking about the, the hope that they have in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you. It's a thing that has come to them. And Paul presents it here as this thing, and it's, it's wherever it goes, according to Paul, it, it has an effect, it has an influence. And he says, well, in the whole world you can see this. It's bearing fruit and growing everywhere. Okay? And it's also come uh, to you as well, to this community of people, to the Colossian church. Just to bring it up to speed, the gospel, the same gospel has come to us today. What we see in this passage is going to be just as true for us today as it is for these guys. Okay? And as he does this, I think there are three basic things then we can see that Paul reminds us, for many of us who would have heard this before, for some it might be new, but for many of us we remind us about the gospel, okay? this gospel that has come to us. What is this gospel? He gives us two things actually on what the gospel is, how we can understand it. And then he also says, well, not just what has come to us, but where does it go? to where does it lead and I'm going to look at those three things this morning so let's crack on and go through them one at a time the gospel what is the gospel well according to Paul the gospel firstly is a message to be thought through the gospel is a message to be thought through look at the way the gospel came to the Colossians in verse 6 and 7 if you've got a if you've got a bible you can look again otherwise I'll go back to it but look how it came to them if this you heard before in the word of the truth the gospel which has come to you and he says since the day that you heard it firstly it's a message it's information that went into their ears and he says and understood the grace of God in truth so they heard it then they had to do some work in their brains to understand it okay then he says this is just as you learnt it from Epaphras. Got three, three words there, and they all give a very similar picture. Hearing, understanding, learning. This is a body of information that they have to wrestle with. It goes in their ears and goes into their brain, and you have to do something with it. Also, look at the words Paul uses to describe the gospel in this passage. First of all, he talks about the truth. Verse 5, the word of the truth, the gospel. Again, verse 6, the grace of God in truth. That's how he understands uh, this thing called the gospel. He also, another key word in his passage is knowledge. Verse 9, the knowledge of his will. So as we'll see, that's kind of another way of saying the gospel's come to you. Well, actually, the knowledge of his will has come to you too. Verse 10, increasing in the knowledge of God. From these words, we can piece them together and think, well, actually, what Paul's doing here is from the very uh, outset, from the start, he's saying the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is not just some experience that we have. It's not just some state of mind that we could have. No, there is stuff here to know. 
There's stuff to hear, but more than that, to grapple with, to understand, even to learn. And look, this stuff's not some kind of vague, take it or leave it suggestions. It's not just some advice. No, it's the truth. That's what Paul thinks about the gospel. It's a body of information that we don't shape and mold according to our needs and wants. No, it's truth that we let shape us and change what we need and want. That's what Paul's presenting the gospel as. Now, I don't know for you, but for many Christians, I think when we hear the word gospel, we would think of gospel in quite a small, the gospel, what is it? It's in quite a small way. I don't mean that to say that we don't think it's important. I think anyone who's a Christian would think the gospel is important, but almost small in terms of how much content there is to it. Often we think of the gospel just as the thing that you would communicate to someone who wasn't a Christian to become a Christian, the bare minimum information that you need to become a Christian. You could do it, I guess, in like four points. You might have learned a different way. But for point one, God made people, okay? God made us to, to follow in perfect relationship with him. Point two, people rebelled against God. We disobeyed God. We broke his law. And because of that, we came under the punishment of God. God, in a sense, we came under the threat of rejection from God. But point three, a really good one, but God wouldn't leave us there. He sent his son to die for us so that Jesus would take the penalty, take the punishment, uh, take the rejection. So point four, now if we come to God in faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven. We can be reconciled with God. Now, I'm not describing that as something small, because just to be clear, that is good news. That fits the bill. Gospel means good news. That's what the phrase means. And just in case you were wondering, that is good news. That's great news. That's fantastic. If that's all we had, that would still be fantastic and wonderful and great, okay? But actually, whereas that's where the gospel starts... We've got to understand, for Paul, it didn't end there. That wasn't the end. That wasn't the, the, ma- the, the mass of things he's thinking about here. No, no, it, for Paul, the gospel's a bit like this deep well of truth. It's not a couple of points you can knock off. It's this well of truth, okay? And those points are important, but they're kind of like on the surface of the well. But we're called to dive down deep in the well. Actually, we'll never get to the bottom. It's a bottomless well, But you know what? We're not going to run out of oxygen down there. We're not going to struggle down there. We're not going to get the bends down there. No, we're called to go as deep as we can. Paul kind of brings out verse 10 where he says, look, what I pray for you is that that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. I think that's a helpful way of looking at it. He doesn't just say, know the gospel. He says, no, know God's will. Dive deep into God's will. Think about the depths of God's will. You're not going to get to the bottom of that in a hurry, are you? I'm sure that we'd all, all agree on that sort of stuff. We're not going to get to the bottom of that. To, to find out what God wants, what he desires, what God feels strongly about. Really find out what makes our creator tick. That's what Paul thinks of when he thinks of the gospel. Actually, for Paul, it wasn't even just containing the teachings of Jesus. Jesus was the one who revealed it most clearly and embodied it most clearly. Actually, God has started revealing this at the beginning of Genesis. Still revealing it as Paul writes to the Colossian church. I think we can fairly describe in Paul's mind what he's talking about here is the entire word of God, the Bible. And to dive into this well of truth, for Paul, as we've seen, we're going to need to hear, to understand, and to learn. He says he uses the phrase, well, how do you get to know the will of God? Well, you need wisdom and understanding for that. Actually, not just that, but we're going to need to submit ourselves to what God is saying, to the word of the truth. That's how he describes it. I've often heard it said 
by Christians, look, why don't we just focus on the, those four points, the, the things that we can all agree on, the gospel, the things that we need to get into heaven, basically, and all the stuff at the end, edges, let's just treat them lightly because, look, they just cause arguments and people disagree. And so we'll hold those, the basics really tight, but we won't get too carried away with that stuff. You know, how we worship or how we do church or complicated stuff like the Trinity or original sin, I don't know, or predestination. Now, I can kind of see what they're getting at, and in a, to a degree, I'll go along with that sometimes, but I think there is a degree in which that's a slightly strange way of looking at things. Paul would have found that very strange. To do that is like just simply floating on the surface of the well that you're meant to be diving deep into. Here's another image, I think Paul's image, is it's like having a few drops of the knowledge of the will of God put in your tank when he calls us, his prayer for us is to be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Is it going to be tricky? Yes. Are we going to have to wrestle with difficult ideas sometimes? Yes, because this is a body of information. Actually, it's not just about us with our minds. That's kind of one of the functions of church. We help each other together. We need to get, get to people. We can say, look, I trust your opinion on these things. I'm going to go to people who know the Bible better than me. Obviously, this, this talk and all the talks we do here, we're, we're in no way infallible. It's hardly worth saying, but I just want to make sure that's on tape. You know what? We know that. That's the case. We make mistakes. We don't communicate things clearly. Sometimes we get the wrong end of the stick. But you know what? One of our roles as preachers, for me, Jonathan, Andy, Owen, others here, we want to help you to get deeper in that well. And that's a responsibility for us. But I'll be honest, it's a responsibility for you guys as well. Will you let us do that? Will you open your hearts to the message of the Bible? Will you kind of go with us and go, yeah, okay, you do talk fast. You do use funny words. Sometimes it's tricky. But I'm going to grapple with this. I'm going to engage with this. I want to get deeper in this well. I don't want to just float on the surface and leave all that stuff at the bottom. It's just what the psalmist actually sums up in Psalm 1. First psalm there is, you think, oh, some of the Bible, Paul's very complicated. It's very different from the, the Old Testament of the Psalms, where the psalmist says the same thing. He, he talks about a person. He says about this person, he says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditates day and night. You want to meditate there? Well, for too few words you need to explain. Law of the Lord, he's really saying the same thing, the gospel, the word of God. Delight. He loves the word of God. It's not just something on the side. He loves it. And, uh, he meditates on it. It's not like an Eastern idea, and it's kind of similar, I suppose, in a way, but the Eastern idea is meditation of emptying your mind or, at best, focusing inward. What can I find in myself, my own divinity, some would say, that I can bring out and draw out? That would be Eastern meditation. No, this is meditation in the idea of thinking, but it's definitely not emptying your mind. It's thinking on a subject, meditating on the Word of God, thinking it through over and over again, when? Day and night. Exactly the same. We hear, understand, learn. It's an explanatory note. I guess this explains why we do what we do at this church. We're not, every church doesn't have to sign up and say, we will have so much time of singing, tick. Talk, tick. Don't forget the notices, tick. Okay, we don't do that. And refreshment's very important. No, we structure this because we want to bring these things out. We, this is why we put aside a large chunk of our Sunday mornings to talks about the Bible. It's why we usually choose to preach on books of the Bible more than general themes. We do themes, but generally on books. It's why sometimes we'll put up Sermon Plus posts on our blog 
going into background for talks or listening, uh, kind of going through objections to what's been said. It's why a, a group of us in the church have uh, embarked on the rather ambitious scheme of while this series is going on, memorising the entire book of Colossians. <laughs> Short while ago, I, could, I know some of you here. But Short while ago, George, the, the North Side, some of you know, came to me and said, Johnny, I want to learn a book of the Bible with you. I'd mentioned something about memorising something in a sermon a while ago and thought, great, we're about to preach in Colossians, let's do it. And so I thought, well, me and George, if we could get, maybe get one more person, that would be worth telling other people. So I said, hey, anyone want to memorise Colossians with us? Come on, what's the worst that can happen? It's such a pleasure being in a church where there are, we're in double figures, the number of people in the church who said, you know what, I've never done anything like this before, but I'm going to give this a bash. And there's a good number of people giving this a bash. By January, there will be probably 15 to 20 people at church who know the whole book of Colossians off by heart. Wow! Why is that impressive to me? I can put that on. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe push that back a bit. So a few by January. Um, is that so I can tweet, hey, look at our church, look how great we are? No, it shows that already amongst us we have an inclination and a willingness to dive deep into the Word of God. It's what Paul's talking about here, to be filled with the knowledge of God. You know what, that might not work for you. you might, that really might not be how your brain works. That's absolutely fine. But we find other ways to do it. I challenge you this morning, are you seeking to hear, understand, and learn from God's word? Do you put aside regular time to read and study God's word? When we come together on a Sunday morning, how do you engage with the preaching? Is it often the case where someone says to you in the afternoon, oh, what was the talk on this morning? You're like, yeah, the Bible, I think, Probably. Yeah, okay, we'll go with that. You can't remember. I mean, I've, so I've done that many, many times. Well, we can, that's a, actually, what this reason why that happens, there's a choice to make. Do we leave it at that? Do we settle for that? Or do we do something about it? What will help you? If writing notes would help you, write notes. If going over podcasts in the week, we put all our sermons up on the website. You usually get them a week, two weeks after because of the South Side being a bit behind, you know, those Southerners. Anyway, but if that's going to help you, do it. It would help you to engage by emailing questions to the office, to me, for Jonathan or Andy or whoever's preaching. Say, look, didn't really understand that bit. Can you clarify? I didn't agree with that bit. I think you got that wrong. You know what? That's not a problem to us. I would love to spend more of my week engaging in conversations like that. We would. If that's going to help you, do it. Because the gospel is a message with content that we need to think through. We need help thinking it through. But that's just point one, because that's definitely not all the gospel is. Point one is a message to be thought through. Secondly, the gospel is a power to be experienced. If we stopped here at verse seven, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would certainly seem like a subject you study at school. Okay? Some of you, you guys are at school thinking, yeah, this sounds like subjects I hear, I learn, I understand, okay? I know stuff. But Paul starts to hint at another side to the gospel in verse eight as well. He says this about Epaphras. He says, Epaphras came to us and he's made known to us your love. We understand that. We, we can understand how that conversation went. He would have said, Paul going, okay, how are they doing? Well, you should see how they're giving to the poor in the area. You see how they support each other in tough times. He's talking about their love. But he doesn't just say that. He says, he's made known to us, he's made known to us your love in the spirit. That's what he writes. That's what Epaphras did. In the spirit. What, what does that mean? Actually, as we read on, we see a similar idea cropping up a few verses later. Paul prays, he says, look, what's the main thing I want for these guys? I want them to know the will of God. And then he says this, to be filled with the knowledge of God's will 
in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. No, it doesn't, it's hard to tell at first, but spirit gets in there again. And what we've got to recognize here, I told you I was going to get in some Greek words. Sorry, guys, you know, you're with me. It's okay, I've done the big preamble to make sure that you listen. You know, it's good. <laughs> the spiritual bit there could be taken and should be as regards not worldly wisdom, but spiritual wisdom. Okay, wisdom from God's perspective, not just people's. So that, that's in there. But in the original language that it was in, it's also talking about where the wisdom comes from. It's how do we get filled with God's uh, knowledge of God's will? It's wisdom that comes from the Spirit. It's exactly the same idea as the love before. It's where did that love come from? When Epaphras communicated that love to Paul, Paul instantly said, well, how did they get so loving? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what did it. How do we know God's will? We need wisdom. Where does the wisdom come from? We need the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Verse uh, 11, a little bit lower down, fills us in on exactly how that works. Verse 11, he, Paul prays again, May you be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. The Spirit's power comes, produces among other things, love and wisdom. The gospel comes to us as a message to think through, but also as a power that we receive and that works in our life. I want to leave no room for misunderstanding here. Paul is not talking about a psychological effect that's happening from believing certain things and then living a certain way. That, that is, that there is that in the gospel. Okay? There are certain things where if I think like this, my life will be different. That, that works. It's a kind of psychological thing. But he's not talking about here. He's not talking about the power of positive thinking or the power of a eureka moment after years of study. No, he's talking about the God who's really there, reaching down and divinely interacting and changing us. The power of God coming to us. Jesus talked in exactly this way to his followers, to his disciples. Acts 1 verse 8, he says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. There's the spirit and power always together in the New Testament. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. For a moment, let's just step out of Colossians back to that verse and let's just think about that for a second because it will help us, I think, on this. When he said that to his disciples, it was a very specific situation. The situation was Jesus had risen from the dead and he was about to go back to heaven. He's about to leave, okay, basically. And he'd given the disciples a rather odd instruction, okay? These guys had seen Jesus do all these miracles and stuff, die, thought it was all over, then come back from the dead and I'd imagine they were probably, they'd have been afraid and stuff, but they'd been quite keen. Well, should we should tell people. In fact, Jesus told them to go and tell people. But Jesus said this to them. He said, wait, hold on. Don't, I'm going to go to heaven, but stay where you are. Stay in Jerusalem for a bit. Wait here. And he didn't say, wait here, because I've been around with you guys a lot. and You've really got to brush up on your Old Testament, guys. Seriously, you're quoting it wrong all over the place. Spend some time, form a little Bible college, and, uh, and please learn the Old Testament better. And actually, while you're at it as well, the Old Testament's good, but you could compile some of my thoughts as well along the way. My teachings, I know they're in your head, but let's get them down on paper. Matthew, you could be handy. Peter, hmm. Not so good. Get that guy Mark to help you. You can, you can do that. Luke, there's this guy called Luke around. He's a doctor, quite clever chap. He's seen a lot of this. Go to him, he can do it. And John, fantastic. Right. Once you've done all of that, got your theological system sorted, then go out and tell people. No, that is not what Jesus says. What he says is, no, wait until you receive power from the Holy Spirit. That's what they need him most. Power. And Acts 2, the wait is over. 
For many, it's a famous passage, but absolutely crucial. It says this, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's make it clear. I know some of you live in the world of academia and you'll have moments where you read books and similar things like this happen to you. I know there's some out there. Maybe more at the south, but anyway. anyway. But um, I know that could be the case, but this is not describing an intellectual experience. Just to make that absolutely clear, okay? <laughs> this is God meeting with people and changing their lives. This is the weird bit of Christianity. Just to be clear, I'm not saying this is, hey, this is normal, of course. This, you, you'll, you'll take this in totally if you're new uh, to our church. No, this is the weird bit. We love the bits we can explain and argue, and that stuff's there as well. That's the message, but it's the weird bit. And it's the bit that sinks or swims on whether it actually happens, and what Jesus taught, and what's taught throughout the Bible, and what many of us would have experienced is that God comes and changes things through his power. Because it's not a one-off in Acts 2. From that point on, it's normal Christianity. So the apostles, as the early church guys, they study the word. But they also encounter the power of God. Acts 4, they're praying again. Similar experience. It says they're filled with the Spirit. The whole room shakes. There's an interaction with God. The apostles, to start the church, they preach a message. Often listeners respond to that message. They're saying, information gone in ears, gone to brain, I agree. Bing, 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 bing. That happens, okay? But at the same time, what's happening? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit is coming. So Acts 10, Peter's preaching to Cornelius. This guy's not, not even a Jew. At that point, the whole church was Jewish. This guy's a Gentile. Peter, I don't know what his expectations were. He had an interesting lead up to that encounter. But what did he think as he was speaking? He's, he's giving the information as best he can. And suddenly he's interrupted. And it just says this, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. Wow, what's happening? Yes, there's a message to hear. There's a power that is also delivered. Guys, We've got to grasp this, this balance here. It's an important balance. Yeah, there's a message to learn. We study, we meditate on the word. There's content here. There's information here. We are not anti-intellectual and we don't want to throw our brains out the window. Now, there's objective truth that we need to get into our heads and build our lives around. There are questions we ask to get to that place. That's a given. But there's also a power that comes to us in the person of the Spirit and does a work on us directly without waiting for us to come to a reasoned conclusion. How much do you have of those two in your life? That's what Christianity is. That's what the gospel that comes to us is. Paul puts it like this, Ephesians 5.18, his instructions to the church. How do you live like this? He says, don't get drunk on wine. That leads to debauchery. What should you do? Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. For me, that means coming back to God daily as much as I can and just saying to him, as every time I'm in a situation, every time I'm doing something, saying, I cannot do this on my own, Lord. I'm utterly dependent on your intervention. I'm not clever enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not kind enough. I need you. Fill me. Jesus said that's what it was. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. He who believes rivers of living water will flow from his inmost being. Okay, we come to him and express our thirst in all of these things. Listen, the long and short of it is this, guys. If we're going to live for Jesus in this world, 
if you're going to shine as a light in the darkness, if you're to resist temptations that surround you, lead you towards foolishness and self-destruction, disaster, if you're going to do those things, you need more than just your brain and your ears. You need to be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. You need the Holy Spirit work in you and change you to bring out love and patience and endurance in you. And you think, where did that come from? That's not from my DNA. That's not what my mum and dad did. That's not how my brothers and sisters act. Well, it's God, your Father, bringing out heavenly DNA through the power of his Spirit. If you're not a Christian, I want to be clear with you here. This is the offer of Christianity. It's not just wisdom to understand yourself and the world around you and even God better. It is that, actually, which is great on its own. But actually, no, the offer of Christianity is a power from God himself that can change us, encourage you. That's, that's what we need, isn't it? We look around the world today and we look around at our lives. We think, look, what's the solution to what's going on? How can I be different to how I am? How can I fix this? Well, we need God to help us. We need God to change us. So the gospel that comes to us is a message to be thought through and it's a power also to be experienced. And finally, third point, is we look at the gospel that comes to us, but it comes like that, that's fine, but where does it lead to? Where does it go? Well, the gospel, thirdly, it leads to changed lives. See this in three main places in the passage. Let's rattle through this and then we'll, we'll finish, okay? Firstly, is in verse 3, and it's kind of implied in verse 3, where Paul says, he's thanking God for these guys, and he's heard two things. This is we heard, the day we heard, of uh, your faith in Christ Jesus, okay? And then he says another thing. He says, and of the love that you have for all the saints. You might think, well, fair enough, he's just listed two things. No, but if you read the rest of Paul, you'll see that it's often that. He often does faith, love. I've heard of your faith, I've heard of your love. I think this is what was happening as he talked to Epaphras. He said, tell me about them. Tell you what, Paul, these guys believe in Jesus. They've committed their life to him. What if Paul said, yeah, yeah, but I've met a load of guys who say they believe in Jesus and they've left me, they've deserted me, they've, they've gone off the rails. They, they never did. Tell me more. Tell, I'll tell you something else, Paul. You see how they give to the poor. You see how they look after each other when they're in times of need. He said, okay, I see. Because faith leads to love. You see that all the way through Paul's writing. It's implied in that verse. Moving on, he makes it very explicit later. Verses 9 to 10, he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. Okay, why? He says this, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay, it's yet faith and it leads to changed life, to obedience to God. Similarly, verse 11, that you may be filled with all power according to his glorious might the gospel comes in the power of the Spirit. Why? For all endurance and patience with joy. Can you see? It's very clear what Paul's saying here. He's saying this. He's saying faith does not just give us a ticket to heaven. It naturally works itself out in lives of love for other people. Paul's saying knowledge of God's will, it's not just there to make us feel brainy. It's not just there to make us feel clever. No, it's there so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Why do we receive the Holy Spirit? Paul would say, that's not about an experience. That's not about shaking a little bit in a meeting or getting over emotional. Some of you would know what what I mean by that. It's not actually about the experience at all. It's not about gold dust falling from the sky. It's not even about miracles happening. 
It is, that's important, but it's not mainly about that. Why does the Spirit come? Well, the Spirit comes so that we would endure and be patient through the trials of life and be faithful to our Lord and Saviour. Can you see, again with this, there is, there is a balance here that is quite tricky. And when there's a balance, there is a possible imbalance that we have to avoid. The balance is this. We've got to understand that the Bible is very clear that we are not saved by the good things that we do. Okay? You can't really say that too much because that's pretty fundamental. According to Jesus, you didn't earn your right to be adopted into God's family. Okay? No, we're saved by faith. It's a gift from God. Again, if you're a, not a Christian here, I want to be absolutely clear. Whatever you have done in your life up to this point, this offer is for you. You don't have to clock up a certain number of hours at church before you say, yeah, I'm in now because I've earned it. You don't, have to read, you don't have to read a chunk of the Bible. You don't have to have prayed a certain amount of times. You don't have to approve that you're a nice guy or a nice lady. No, no. It's free. It's a gift for you. It's by grace. We don't earn it through our good performance. And we hold on to that. That's one side of the seesaw. But we must be very, very careful that we don't say then, well, it's the faith that's important. Who cares about how we live? And sadly, so many people do that. Now, faith's important. That doesn't mean obedience isn't important. In a fact, in a sense, we were saved for obedience. That's the reason we were saved. Why do we have faith? Well, so we could be more loving. The gospel has come to you, the message and the power of God, and they're all leading in one direction, to change lives of ever-increasing obedience and love. That's where this gospel goes. That's the tree that grows out of the seed, if you like. That's the image that Paul uses. It's a really helpful image. I want to leave you with this image before I give you a challenge and an encouragement. Look at a seed. Look at a seed of any sort of description. Okay, it's sim- what is it? It's just nothing. Is it made of? What is it even made of? A seed. I almost said before it's made of wood. It's clearly not made of wood. It's just a tiny little pip thing. I mean, what does it do? You think it's useless? Put it in the ground. Wait a long time, as far as I'm aware, and you get a massive tree. You get lots of wood that you can make stuff out of. But more importantly, you get like leaves that give shade. You get flowers sometimes. You get fruit sometimes. Whoa, from that seed. Paul's point is this. There is a seed, the gospel like a seed, and wherever it goes, you know, wherever it goes, if it gets the right soil, it always grows the same way. He uses the example of all around the world. He says, as indeed in the whole world, it's bearing fruit and going. It's like, it's like when the seed goes, look, look what it's doing all over the world. It's bearing fruit and growing. Okay? It's really funny, that verse, because it's usually the case that we have to get the context and say, well, it's obviously that was the case for them, and then we have to put that in our context. What Paul says is more true today <laughs> than it was for him then. He's not lying. It was in his world, it was bearing fruit and growing. Guys, take a step back from godless Europe for a moment, and did you know that more people are becoming Christians now than at any other point in history? The seed... Go out, look, all over the world, bearing fruit and growing. China, 10% of China now, it's thought, Bible-believing Christians. If you're not up on your sociology, there's a lot of people in China, just so you know, okay? South America, Africa, or even through the places where it's suppressed, even maybe more there in the Middle East. Now the seed goes in, and people can do what they want. Now the seed bears fruit and growing. This is what Paul then says, and so also among you. It's the same seed. Exactly the same seed with the same effects. The same tree grows out of that seed. And how it grows is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
loving lives, endurance and patience. You see, we're saved by faith in Christ Jesus. Where that faith is genuine, people will hear not just of our faith, but our love that we have for the saints. We value faith in Jesus first and foremost. And if you're not a Christian, I'd say, you know what, that stuff, don't think about that first. Now get to the surface of the well first. Yeah, that's where we start. But we also understand the huge importance of walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Sure, you've clocked it already. But there's a challenge and encouragement for us here. It's a challenge for us. A big challenge for some of us, I think. In your life, you've begun to separate faith and obedience to God. I want to challenge you as clearly as I can. The gospel comes to us. The gospel that comes to us leads in one direction. It leads in obedience. It leads to love. If in our lives we say, ever get to a point of saying, oh yeah, but I had faith. So actually it doesn't really matter whether I obey God in this or whether I'm pretty half-eyed or do I do what he say or should I just focus on, I need a bit of me space. Maybe one day I'll be a saint, but you know what? I've got my ticket to heaven. Faith, done. If you're in a situation at all where you are tempted to think like that, I've got one word for you. Beware. Sounds a bit daunting and intimidating. Can't think of another word, I'm afraid. Beware. Because if the seed comes to you, it grows there. Peter makes it clear what we need to do on the basis of this seed. 1 Peter 2, 5-7 to says this, For this very reason, make every effort. What? Every effort? We let go and let God. No, we don't. We make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. Yeah, we make an effort. It's not complacency. There's no room for complacency. Living out our faith is very important. If that needs to hit you with a challenge, I want it to hit you with a challenge. But actually, for most of us, this hits us as an encouragement, and it's a massive encouragement for us. We need to hear the challenge, but actually, we need to hear the encouragement more, I think. Because for most of us who call ourselves Christians, I think we understand this. We know uh, we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. But our problem is not that we, we don't care. It's that we look at our lives and think, but I'm so useless. I keep messing it up. I keep falling by the wayside. I keep falling for that habit I thought I'd broken free of. Will I ever be able to steer my life away from my own needs towards loving other people properly? Well, if that's you, if you're feeling despondent today, Hear this in a different way. You need to be massively encouraged by this. The seed that bears fruit wherever it goes, if the gospel has come to you, is in you. It has come to you. So it also does among you. And that seed only bears fruit in one direction. Yeah, we work hard and we put discipline into our life. But we do it not knowing it's on us. We do it knowing that the most powerful force in existence is in us already, shaping us and pushing us in that direction. And yeah, we stumble. Yeah, we make the odd mistake. But when we do, and you might need to do this this morning, you come back to God, our loving Father, and say, God, I'm sorry. And he says, even before the words are out of my mouth, I forgive you. Come on, get back on it. Let's go. With my power, let's go. So what do we learn from the first bit of Colossians? We learn that we should hear, understand, and learn the good news. We should be filled with the Holy Spirit, and we should live it out in obedient lives of love. 
the seed of the gospel that's been planted in, in each of us bears its natural fruit. I think that's a massive start to a book.